I'm Professor Neil Feinstein, and this is Conversations with the Creators. Sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications, ideas thrive here. And today, my colleague, Professor Audrey Siegel Navora, is talking to business advisor, digital transformation expert, blogger, blogger, columnist, commentator, Shelly Palmer. Audrey? So, as you heard from Neil, Shelly Palmer gets around. One of the places he goes that I, I'm just so envious, I've never gotten to go with him. Uh, but every January, Shelley leads groups of marketers around the Consumer Technology Association's premier conference, which is called CES. It's the most influential technology event in the world where the new, the unexpected, the unimagined are poked and prodded, examined, and sometimes debunked by almost 200,000 attendees. So today, whenever you're listening, for your pleasure, Shelley Palmer is going to take you on a personal tour of the best of CES. Shelley, welcome. Thank you. I'd like to ask you to start by describing, you know, you walk into the room, the rooms, the many of them. Can you describe the experience? Tell us what it feels like. What does it look like? Well, CES is a well-orchestrated uh, room, rooms filled with just chaos. And um, I don't think about the overwhelming size of CES in any way other than um, to gauge the general excitement. And of course, through the pandemic, it's all been virtual. So we're hoping that CES will, will be live again in 2022. But prior to that, it was what you would think of as just an incredibly exciting circus. Uh, people of every kind, the kind of cantina bar from Star Wars, uh, just amplified by 100,000 people. But at the end of the day, CES is none of that. Uh, all the excitement, all the people, all the everything really fall away and you ignore all of it. What you use CES for, what CES does for you is it is a remarkably accurate crystal ball. And it looks into the future at three quantized intervals. It looks at the future 12 months out because anything that is shipping is going to be available to consumers 12 months from the day you see it. Then it looks at the future roughly 24 months out, which are things that are just about to be manufactured, but haven't been manufactured yet, but they are slated to become part of product lines and they will be released. And so you kind of have an insight into that. And then that window could expand as far as call it 36 months. So you've got a one year window, a two to three year window, and then you've got the three plus year window. And that window is um, not the art of the possible in the real politic sense of the word where it's, you know, what can we get done? It's the art of the blue sky. It's like in the world where that maybe here's what we think might happen. And these are the technologies that are empowering it. And these are incredibly powerful windows into the future. 
Uh, one tells you what will be, one tells you what probably will be, and the other shows you what might be. I don't think you can ask for more out of any kind of trade show. Then when you add in the people uh, that you, you are likely to meet at CES, people who are in it every single day, who understand the supply chain, who understand the technological pressures, who have the scars on their backs and the arrows on their backs from being leaders and pioneers and those who have kind of waited and been fast followers and those who's who have adopted strategies that uh, allow them to sustain their businesses over time by taking, let's just say, lower risks, but coming in at larger scale. When you put all of those opinions and all of those points of view together, come away from CES enriched with, a, all, with all kinds of actionable business knowledge. And that's the, that's the value of CES. And while it's exciting to be there because it's Vegas, yeah, over the, I think I've been going to CES, oh, since the earth was cooling. I don't even want to put it. <laughs> and, and so uh, forever. It, it isn't that Las Vegas is that alluring any longer. It isn't that I want to gamble or go to parties or go to dances or go to fancy restaurants. Yeah, you do all of that, but in great moderation because you're on your feet from six in the morning till six in the morning for four days. It's a marathon. It, it literally is how long can you stay awake? And the beauty of that show uh is the beauty of every international trade show. And I hope we get it back. My so, colleagues from Korea, my colleagues from China, my colleagues from South America, my colleagues from Africa, my colleagues in Pierce around the globe show up. And so without having to spend three months of air travel, you know, okay, I'm going to go to Asia pack, but I'm going to stay an extra week because I have to go to Korea. Then I'm staying extra week. I'm going to run up to Japan. I'm going to go up to Tokyo for a minute. You know what? I'm here. I got to get out to Shenzhen and I'll hang out in Hong Kong for a little while. I mean, you're blowing a month of your time uh, completely in another time zone. It all happens. Hey, let's just have a breakfast of, you know, cool kids that do blank on Thursday morning at CES and everybody shows up and you see everybody. You spend an hour talking about the business and you go and that, that, that's invaluable. That's just an amazing, you know, an amazing opportunity that I, to be fair, missed, missed a lot this year. And I'm just hoping it comes back. All right. So the cool kids, we used to call them the nerds. They're sitting around the table um, and talking about the most interesting things you've seen at CES. Tell us about them. Well, I don't think that there's any one interesting thing that I could point out uh, this is a time of iteration and small bits of innovation that go into iteration. But what you do find at CES with the, at the cool kids table <laughs> um, are trends that are actionable, meaning that while you might not see, and I know CES is always scored by bright, shiny new objects. It's always scored by the number of press releases for new products. And well, there's nothing new this year. It's like, really, are you that stupid? Is that, is that, Seriously, nothing new. Every single product was iterated. Everything was made more miniature. Everything was made more powerful. Everything was made more energy efficient. All of the work that went into taking something and making it a two millimeters smaller and just as powerful or uh, having a battery take up the same volume and, and but the electronics be efficient enough to last another 30 minutes. It's like, that's not new. What are you? A, you're an idiot if you think that's not new. So 
it may not be the bright, shiny new object that you're going to go to Best Buy and go, wow, I got to have one of these. But if it's incrementally increasing the value of everything you have by just 1% and you compound that 1% across the efficiencies that are your, your relationship with tech and the empowerment that those extensions of your capability set do for you as a consumer, then you instantly see that any given year is a massive behavioral change. I am saving a couple of seconds here, a couple of minutes there. I'm empowered to do something I couldn't do before. I can drop the background out of a picture with one button press. That's not a bright new shiny object. It's a feature that might or might not have a benefit to you unless you need to do it. But if you do need to do it, it just saved you about five minutes of time. If you do it three times a day, it's 15 minutes. If you do it four times a day, right? It just go on and compound that. Now add every little incremental increase in capability. So what you see isn't necessarily a bright new shiny, oh my goodness, what you see is, okay, these are the trends towards productivity. These are the, tra the trends towards uh, actionable tools or tools that will change behaviors. And as I have said for the last 150 years, um, technology is meaningless unless it changes the way we behave. And so if you've got a changed behavior based on some technology, then that technology has to get your attention. And you might not understand it to be bright, shiny, and new, but iteration is innovation always. It is impossible to iterate and improve without innovating. So when you're, you're talking about trends, I totally hear you, you know, every once in a while, right? We get that, we do get that big shiny bright object. We do get that huge leap. But if we want to talk about trends, what would you say are the one, two, three trends that we should be looking for as marketers, as advertisers, uh, as consumers, you know, what, what's, on, what's on the trend so vision list? Dramatic improvements in machine learning and artificial intelligence are to be expected on a trend line that you can almost calculate. The introduction of BERT and GPT-3 and other transformer models have had pretty dramatic impacts in capability sets of AI and neural networks. And we're seeing immense, immense, immense improvements in that technology. People should not get confused. Uh, AGI, artificial general intelligence is no closer today than it was yesterday or a year ago or three years ago. But narrow focus tools, pattern matching, pattern recognition, the ability to, oh my goodness, face recognize, speech recognize, mimic human beings in speech, mimic human beings in drawing, mimic human beings in music composition, or assist. And so this idea of having human-machine partnerships, that trend line is very clear. And the most powerful marketers, the most powerful business people, the most powerful anything are going to be human beings who, who choose their tools very carefully and partner with AI models that can enhance their capabilities uh, in the ways that, for example, a human can't. Uh, a quick example, you've got an art director and an art department, and the art director is tasked with a new ad by senior management. That art director will, because of their wisdom and experience, go to the drawing board literally and draw something and bring three versions of a, of a realization of that concept to the senior leader, business leader to look at. Business leader is going to choose one. The art director goes back to the art department and says, okay, junior art uh, people, 
we need to, here's the deliverable, here is the deliverables list. We need uh, the 30 sheet billboard. We need a couple tabloids. We need uh, every IAB standard internet ad. We need some GIFs. We need some memes. We need uh, 50 pages of deliverables. And all of the people in the art department, the juniors, uh, the associates, the assistants, the interns go and the minions go and make versions and they bring them to the senior art director for critique. And that mentorship and that cultural environment and that, uh, uh, that literally the apprenticeship of this group of younger art directors is how you create senior art directors right over time. Absolutely. You, you teach them by your aesthetic, by your approach, by even how thoughtful you are about the critique, even the way you would couch a critique so that you wouldn't embarrass somebody or that you would encourage them to be a better art artist as opposed to saying, that sucks, go do it again. Like nobody does that and survives into senior art directorship. It's like, you know, it's a good effort, but I tell you what, I'm not sure this is right. And could, had you thought about it this way? And, you know, we're trying to accomplish this. If you look at the body of work we're putting out there, this isn't quite sized properly. I think the logo has to be right. like, you have a way you'd learn to speak and you would over time learn to speak. What does AI do? What is a, and, and those people, you're talking 15 people in an art department, 17 people in an art department of every level, right? From intern to, to assistant. Now my senior art director still has the same job because that human intuition to figure out what someone is talking to you about and what they need, while GPT-3 can do a really good job if you say, I want a chair shaped like an avocado, and it will draw one, and it will be, it'll draw a bunch of them, and they'll be pretty good. Uh, you know, the, the, that's, that sounds like a complex problem to solve, and it is a complex problem to solve, but it's nowhere near as complex as I would like to get uh, women 18, 24 to think of Panama City Beach, Florida as a not a spring break destination, but a family destination. Let's build some ads around that. Okay, that is a complex problem. And to communicate that visually is going to take you a second. And to communicate that in words is going to take you a second. If it's even possible, I'm making this up just out, out of thin air. Sure. So, but now this modern art director who still has their job has a tool, a, a generative adversarial network that is completely trained to make versions. And into the Computer goes the version list, the deliverables list. And after the business leader approves the one of the three ads that has been conceived, possibly only in a thumbnail sketch, only, you know, or magic marker sketch, not maybe not even realized, you literally press a button and all of the deliverables come out. And the art director still does some tweaking, except the feedback loop goes to the machine. Now the machine gets better and the machine is really going to take that direction perfectly. So the next time it happens, it's one button press and it's done. So you have the senior art director capable of doing the work of a 20 person department, let's just say arbitrarily, that puts 18 people out of work, but worse, it, it takes away the training mechanism for those 18 to 20 people. Yes, so, and I was just thinking that the people crazy. listening to this podcast have all just collectively taken a big sigh and said, what am I gonna do? Yeah. What do I have to learn? How am I going to move forward? I want to do this. And so that's exactly right. And the, the advice I would give to anyone is that uh, we are no, no industry, no job is immune. If you, you used to say, well, I'm a human being, cognitive, repetitive tasks are my domain. I am a uh, and cognitive non-repetitive make me a genius. Like I can do, uh, if I have a cognitive repetitive task on an assembly line, I might be able to build a machine to do that depending on the complexity of the work. 
but it may just be cheaper for a person to do it than to build a robot to do it. But cognitive, non-repetitive, come on, I'm a human being. Machines can't do that. And the answer is, yeah, and they kind of can. Not all of it, but some of it. It's enough of it to, to really make you sad. So yeah. the number one thing you need to do is what every musician had to do in 1980 when uh, this is just the 40th anniversary of MTV. They went on the air with a song, Video Killed the Radio Star. And on that day, every musician who ever put out an album ever had a new skill they had to learn. And the new skill was video. And then a few years later, they had a new skill they had to learn. It was called the World Wide Web. And then a few years later, they had another skill they had to learn. It was called social media. And right. And now it's NFTs. It's like, and so they all became marketers and they were always stylists and they were always trendsetters and they always had their finger on the pulse of everything going on sociologically. But now they had to prove it and they had to prove it in a way that they did not prove it before. Well, every profession is now where the music business was uh, the day before and the day after right? Prior to AI, there was automation and there was data processing. And so a cognitive repetitive task, like entering things, I have a number in a spreadsheet uh, in yeah. one column, and now I have to move it to another column, to another cell, and I have to do some, and write a narrative about how it got there. Okay, that's over. That's totally, machines will do that without any problem whatsoever. And in fact, they'll do a better job because there will be no personal bias based on how it got there. The math on how it got there is all it's going to tell you. And the likelihood that it'll get there again, it will tell you with a very, very, very high level of confidence. Uh, so the, all those jobs are done. All of that cognitive non-repetitive work that you thought only humans could do, that's over. So to, to combat this, you don't try to combat it. You partner with it. And so you need to become a human machine partner. Now, you've been a human machine partner your entire life. You drive a car. A car is a machine. You're a human. You partner with it to get you from place to place. Right. You are a human animal partner when you rode a horse and the car is better. You learn to use the machine. You learn to use a calculator. You learn to use a smartphone. You learn to use email. You learn to use PowerPoint. You are a human machine partner by, by You know how to do it. This is just a, a machine that's got some cognitive skills that that basically you don't have. And the way to think about it better is to uh, put yourself into a, not a, a uh, John Henry was strong man versus machine uh, mode. If I gave you a 10 by 10 spreadsheet, Audrey, right now, 10 rows, 10 columns, and said, Audrey, this is your business. Please explain to me what you're looking at. And you looked at the 10 rows and 10 columns, and they were uh, specifically in your discipline. You would look at it and go, oh, well, I know this. This is a household with double income, no kids. This is a single family household. This is, uh, right, uh, these people. Is Absolutely. You, you would instantly know by looking at 10 rows and 10 columns, the, whatever math was on there, if it was explaining your business, you would immediately, just as a human being with a brain that can pattern match, you'd instantly understand it if you were experienced enough in your business. But if that spreadsheet was 25,000 columns by 250 million rows, there's nothing you can do about it. No. You're a human being. That, on the other hand, is the perfect size spreadsheet, size array for a computer. And you need to train the computer to help you go through that data and make heads or tails of it. Now, you may want to train it with what you know. You also may want to set it free to look for things you don't know you don't know, right? So you've got your known unknowns, your unknown unknowns, right? And, and the then, ones you don't even know, you don't know. <laughs> that's right. There's un, that's right. There's unknown unknowns and, uh, the, you know, the whole array of the, the, the four possible uh, approaches to things you don't know. The computer can do supervised learning, unsupervised learning. It can pattern match on its own. You can teach it. And then the feedback loop is amazing, right? Because you can, you can give it a biscuit and say, good computer. You did a good job for me. And you can say, no, bad computer and take the biscuit away. So no, 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 that's not the outcome I'm looking for. And 
over time, training sets, the reason we call them training sets is they train. So you need to become a human machine partner. And I think the best and most powerful of any of us will be that. And those who decide that, you know, oh, this is too newfangled or I'm not going to play or machines will never be as good as people. Machines are never going to be people ever. They're machines. So stop it. Stop pretending. Like, I don't want my five-year-old being taught by a machine because when a five-year-old skins his or her knee and they cry, machines can't give them a hug. And getting a hug from somebody when you when you have a boo-boo is a big deal. On the other hand, if I want someone to teach me the technique to do to draw a, a aerodynamic car and I want it pre-tested as I'm rolling my, my stylus over the screen and I want to take my stylus and I would really like this curve to be aerodynamic based on the coefficients and the physics you understand machine. Why am I drawing a curve that's going to have to be redrawn after it goes through an air tunnel, after it goes through 69 different tests? And it's like, forget all that. The computer will immediately know that this curve is legal or illegal inside the physics of the world we're telling it we're working in. Why wouldn't I want that to be true? Why wouldn't I save my company that amount of testing, right? So these are the kinds of things where you could say the machine is replacing a person. The machine is replacing all kinds of processes that people did, but you are the one who is inventing. You are the one who is solving the problem. You're the one who is identifying the condition that you wish to change or the process you wish to initiate. And so problem solving, uh, human problem solving is not going away. The ability of a machine to help you, if I tell you, you know, I know there are people, if I say 2,846.444 times 3,922.89645 can do that in their head and hand me the number. But thank God no one has to. Right? No so one. No, and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, again, what goes on in my class, what goes on in, in Professor Feinstein's class? Strategy, Right taking that information, taking that data that yes, a machine can generate more quickly, can give me a broader view, but the human in the room, the, the team of people bringing different perspectives, I'm hoping you're gonna say that our students still need to learn, still have an opportunity to make a difference in because that's the value the human brings. You know, I, I think that each of us, first of all, I'm unqualified to answer that question in every way you can say the word unqualified. That's first of all. Secondly, um, my suspicion is that in the fullness of time, we will adapt to the technologies that are presented to us as we have throughout history. And I also assume, because history is a good teacher, that we will lag behind the technology more and more dramatically before we catch up because we are we're in a growth spurt now that's almost untenable prior to the pandemic my favorite phrase pardon me my favorite phrase was today you're experiencing the slowest rate of change you'll ever experience for the rest of your life knowing that we live in the age of exponentiation knowing that every single technological improvement is happening on a relatively predictable exponential curve um, from Moore's law to the present, right? I mean, just as you get down the list of things that are just exponentially speeding up. And actually, you, some people argue that that trend's accelerating. And so it's like a tetrated exponent. It's like, just, wow, it's crazy going. The pandemic has 
caused, and you can use your own number because it's all just conjecture. Uh, we've experienced something like, I don't know, 10 years of social innovation in the 10 months, last 10 months. It's some number like that or 12 months, 12 years and 12 months. I, it, it's some insane number. What we're doing right this moment, we are on a video chat client that's been around for a decade and yet until a year and a half ago, practically no one used it. If you were going to do a teleconference, you would have to go down the hall in your, in your uh, business to the telepresence room where the AV person would have to come in and set you up. And like maybe yeah. it worked and maybe it didn't. And people wouldn't be in their homes. They'd be in another room that looked like a teleconference. Like all of that's done. That's like, no one even remembers that. Now you sit at your desk, you press a button and you are anywhere in the world with anyone in the world pretty much instantly without any issue. And you and you and every business will accept it. A year ago, well, now it's a year and a half. Year and a half ago, you say to a doctor, "I want to, I want to telehealth into your office." They would laugh at you. They couldn't get co-paid from the insurance company. They didn't want a video of the interaction because they were afraid of med mal insurance. Blah 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 blah. Down the list, of, they wouldn't take an email because they didn't want to, anything in writing that they might be used in court in the in the med mal suit. All of a sudden. Wow, it's a year and a half later. Every insurance company is letting them charge you a copay for the televisit, telehealth visit. Every doctor's like, Yeah, my office hours, I'm here to here, make an appointment. I'll see you on Zoom. Yeah, sure. I'll electronically send that prescription to your drugstore. I'm not even going to send you a hard script. No, no, I'm going to send it directly to the drugstore. And the, the drugstore is going to deliver it. You, I mean, seriously, that's inside of 12 months. We went from no, not ever doing it. Sorry, not going to happen. Same thing in the television business, streaming, movie business, streaming. We're not ever, ever going to day and date. The entire HBO Max slate for 21 was on what was would have been theatrical release. Now they're going to go back to a 45 day window or some, you know, some other windowing and they're going to figure out, but it's never going all the way back. And the movie, no. business, we understand it is doomed. And so when you, I mean, not the movie business, the movie theater business, the movie business, I think is also probably imperiled, but that's another conversation. <laughs> At the end of the day, we have changed our behaviors. And as I said earlier, Technology is meaningless unless it changes the way we behave. Well, we've had outside stimulus. The pandemic has caused us to adopt technologies we would not have adopted if not forced, but we were. And so we have changed. We have changed. The nature of education, I mean, your own business has changed in ways. And by the way, there is such a profound difference between online teaching and online learning and everybody figured out what that meant in the last year and a half, right? You point a camera at a teacher, that's like pointing a camera at a radio show at the very beginning of television. They didn't know how to make a TV show, but they certainly knew how to do radio plays. And so they just pointed the camera at the vaudeville stage. They pointed the camera at the radio stage and said, this is going to be TV. Of course it wasn't, right? It took us years to figure out what a close-up is. It took years to, to invent videotape. They were, they were literally making kinescopes. They were making motion picture records of television broadcasts because they didn't have a way to record the video. So until we learned to record video, until we learned how to switch prime lenses out, till we understand what a variable zoom lens was, till we understood lighting, till we understood sound, till we, it took a long time to make what you and I would call a TV show. And I would argue that the greatest storytelling, um, uh, the, the, the greatest example of the evolution of storytelling is a 30 second or even a 15 second television spot that has a beginning, middle and ending, a rising action, a climax and a falling action and communicates a concise, precise message to the audience and is honed until it's perfect at it or it is discarded. And like, wow, from pointing a camera, literally less than a lifetime ago, pointing a camera at a radio play 
to packaging something you can watch in video that is so properly and concisely done and so suspends your disbelief that you're willing to take money you don't have and buy something you don't need. <laughs> wow. I, I, I got to tell you, that has evolved. That has evolved. So, so uh, that's sort of where this is from my perspective. All right. So, Shelley, I could listen to you all day, uh, but you don't have all day. And um, so I'm going to ask you to just give me five words. You can make it seven. What do you want our students at St. John's University to be thinking about as they go into the fall 2021 semester? Where should their heads be at? Your side hustle. All right, I'm going to ask you for three more words then. I don't care where your degree is from. I don't care about it. I could care less what your credentials are. I don't care how many stars you got, gold stars on whatever paper. I could care less what your GPA was. I absolutely am uninterested in what you are telling me you've done or other people are telling me you've done. You know what I don't care about? What you've done. What are you working on on the side? Show me your side hustle. Show me your passion project. Show me, show me a problem you identified in the universe that you felt needed to be solved and how you approached solving it because you know it needed to be solved and you wanted to solve it. That's the initiative I want to see. That's the creativity I want to see. Take everything you've learned at St. John's, take everything you've learned anywhere in the world from the time you were conscious to this moment and tell me that you are present enough as an adult, as a human being in this planet to understand that we have problems that can be solved, that you identified one of those problems as something that you personally cared so deeply about that you needed to solve it, whether to enrich yourself, your family, your community, or mankind in general, and that these are the tools you applied, and this is how you got it solved. And that initiative is going to tell me whether you can work for me or not. That initiative is going to tell me that I never have to worry ever about if our economic interests are aligned or not. Because you are a problem solver and a self-starter. You're somebody who can learn on their own. What St. John's taught you, hopefully, is how to teach yourself because you will never be allowed to stop learning, not one second of your life. And if you leave school with the concept that you've learned, you didn't actually attend school in the 21st century. You've learned nothing. What you have to learn is how to teach yourself and you have to be willing to go to school every morning when you wake up and not be done with it till you put your head down at night because this stuff is coming at you faster than ever in history. And unless you identify a problem that will absolutely capture your attention and force you to learn stuff that's so far out of your comfort zone that you can't even believe you're doing it, you're just, you're going backwards. So take that young, young, young Padawan learners, <laughs> just, just, you know, get a side hustle. You're in school. You think you don't have time to do it. I will leave you with one last word of advice. If you are in school right now, if you are a full-time student in an institution of higher learning, no matter how time constrained you believe your life is, you have more time and more money right this minute than you ever will again for the rest of your natural life. I know you don't believe it, but trust me when I tell you, it is absolutely true. So use this moment to initiate that side hustle and go deep because if you waste this time, you will never get it back. Thank you. Thank you, Shelley Palmer. A man who gets around.
This has been Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's Graduate Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Special thanks to all who helped create these podcasts, including Professor Audrey Siegel Mavora, Professor Edrix Fontanilla, Kevin James, and the Advertising Graduate Assistants. Keep on ideating. <laughs>